Welcome to Keep Taking Ground, the saxophone podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Ryan, and we're back with season number two. Listen, the response to season one has been amazing. I want to say a huge thank you to everyone that tuned in, commented, shared the episodes, and subscribed. Uh, the love has been really encouraging, and I'm excited to bring you 10 new conversations this season. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, welcome, welcome. You can expect conversations with award-winning and in-demand saxophonists from around the world and across contemporary styles. I really believe that these award-winning and in-demand saxophonists know something that the rest of us don't quite know yet. And that's what I'm curious about. I want to create a resource that will help you keep taking ground in your personal, professional, musical, and creative journeys and connect with the saxophone community worldwide. Without further ado, today's guest is an Emmy award-winning artist and has been called one of this generation's most exciting emerging voices in the jazz world. Not only does he exhibit world-class virtuosity on the alto saxophone, but he's also a uniquely talented vocalist, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and composer whose sound blends jazz, soul, and alternative R&B into a fresh new sound all his own. He's been featured on several of Christian Scott's studio album, and he's also toured and performed with Christian McBride's big band, John Baptiste and Marquis Hill, among others. During this time, he was also selected as a semi-finalist in the 2018 Thelonious Monk International Jacks Jazz Saxophone Competition. It's my pleasure to welcome the amazing Braxton Cook to the podcast. Braxton, what's up, man? How are you doing? What's up, bro? Good to I'm have good, you. Man. Amazing. Good. Amazing. It's a good pleasure to-, to be here. My pleasure, really, to have you, man. When I started this podcast, you were one of the the people on the very first list of possible guests. Um, I didn't reach out to you last season because I was just starting up. I know you're a busy guy, but it's really a pleasure to have you on this season. What have you been up to? Man, a lot. Personally, been up to a lot. So, (laughs) you know, like, uh, married for, you know, over a year now. Yep. And uh, me and my wife, we just brought our little beautiful boy into the world. His name's August Cook, August J. Cook. He was Amazing. Born, Congrats, like, man. August 31st, too. So, like, <laughs> he just made the cutoff, too. <laughs> um, yeah, he's a, he's a great guy, too. He's, he's really awesome. And we just had our first family trip last weekend when we went to Palm Desert. For those that don't know, I'm, I'm located out in, in Los Angeles now. Yep. You know, I had been in New York, but we relocated over the past year. Mm-hmm. During the pandemic, in the middle of the pandemic, actually. And uh, yeah, so still getting adjusted to this lifestyle, like driving yeah. and doing all that. But uh, it's, it's been nice. It's been super nice. And my wife's family is from out here. So I'm mm-hmm. very fortunate to have like family. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they've been super supportive for the first two months of August life. because it's, it's so much work. It's such an adjustment. <laughs> you just don't sleep. So having that's been awesome. And uh, seeing him just come out of his shell and be more social with with family members, you know, is is really good to see. Because I know, I'm sure a lot of people during certain parts of the pandemic just felt super scared about all that. But, you know, the timing with everyone being vaccinated in our family and, you know, the precautions we're taking, it just is nice. It's it's good that he's afforded that luxury now and uh, that we are, too, that we can just all be together and and hang out safely. That's that's amazing, man. It's it's so good to see a young jazz musician um married having starting a family is that 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 isn't always the case and we'll talk about that a little bit more um later in 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 the podcast but in case uh you know the listeners don't know who you are um what can you say who is braxton cook so firstly 
Uh, I'm a musician. I'm a jazz musician. Yeah. Jazz saxophonist. My yeah. first love was the saxophone. Um, you know, I found my way into the music, probably hearing just funk and R&B tunes with like a lot of horns on it. Yeah. Eventually found my way uh, to Grover Washington from there to Cannonball Adderley, from there to Charlie Parker. And then at that point, I don't know, 14, 15 years old, I was just hooked. So I'm for sure, you know, a, a jazz saxophonist at the core. Yeah. And then over my development and over my over the years have just started to kind of grow and add and, and evolve all these different skills and, and, and different interests and, and, you know, to hopefully create a, a just a, te a textured, nuanced, you know, voice um, that's incorporating the history of the music and all types of different styles of music and the just honest representation of where I'm at as an artist. Amazing. So that's, and that's the it in a nutshell. And over the past year, I've learned that there's more that there's, there's way more than that. You know, I'm a, yeah, I'm a yeah. father, I'm a husband, I'm a, uh, a, a run a business, obviously, like, you know, a, a, my own business yeah. and, and yeah. an entrepreneur and, and all these other things that we've had to figure out yeah. uh, over the past year. Good. You know, my first introduction to you, I believe was 2013 for the, um, Thelonious Monk jazz saxophone oh, competition, yeah. right? And yeah, I had man. just moved to Toronto. So I moved to Toronto August of 2013. So I had just started my second year at Humber College here. And um, I was sitting in my room uh, watching the competition online. And I was like, yo, this guy is so dope. And um, I think that's when I started following you and just checking out your music. And I, I've been a, a fan ever since. I think I've probably seen every video that you've put out and wow. just like listen to all your your records and I, I no doubt you've been a, a a pretty influential um saxophonist and musician of our generation the music that's happening now um kind of incorporating the history of the music but also pushing it forward especially to um millennials right i know that's something that you're really passionate about but a lot mm -hmm. of people know way what you've been involved in now but let's go back to the beginning yeah. How did you be, you come out through music? How did you, how did a saxophone end up in your hand? Right. So the, probably the first time I really saw a saxophone up close and got to play the saxophone, I might've been five or six years old actually. And, um, this is just happenstance maybe, or fate, you know, then got, but, uh, so my mom was renting my dad a saxophone for his birthday. Yeah. Um, sometime in the 90s you know and he's practicing the horn and he bought this show tune book where he's like reading the music and playing these tunes and uh i i just remember him practicing in the basement i made my way down there because uh, just the sound of it sounded it just just kind of drew me in mm -hmm. um and i just watched him practice for a minute and then he's like you want to try it so he just turns the horn over and lets yeah, me yeah. play while he's still holding the fingers and you know i got a decent tone out of it and i remember yeah. him being surprised by it i was surprised by it my other bro brothers i got three brothers at the oh, time wow. i think only two my baby brother maybe wasn't even born yet yeah um or he was just an infant so the other two brothers my older brother and little brother both tried it they squeaked on the horn you know? <laughs> maybe i don't know maybe biting too hard i'm not sure but i got like a nice tone yeah yeah and i think that laid the seed one to 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 just it just naturally i just got a nice sound out of it yeah and then two just have it my dad being like genuinely shocked I'm like oh okay you know that was pretty good you know, i'm like five years old six years old and then um 
kind of forgot about it. Just like like a regular <laughs> kid, you know, I just just moved on, just playing basketball, playing sports, hanging with my brothers. It didn't pay it much, much mind. I think at the time I was actually we were all in piano lessons. My mom played classical piano. Okay, a bunch of competitions growing up. So she's, you know, we got Chopin, all this stuff. And she got us on Beethoven early. Yeah, and yeah, I always yeah. wanted to just learn it by ear, you know. I didn't want to read it. I just wanted to memorize it mm-hmm. and learn it by ear and stuff. But she got us in piano lessons. So that was actually my formal training was on piano. Right. Saxophone didn't come back into the picture. And so another ten, another six years, I, th- I would say, like, I was maybe in fifth grade, so okay. 11, something okay. like that. Mm-hmm. And in fifth grade, you finally get to join band class right, or orchestra. Right, right. I went band. Yep. And you get a little, we had a sheet where I could fill out whether, you know, my, my preferences. And I wanted saxophone, then trumpet, then something else. Um, ended up getting the saxophone, mm-hmm. getting stuck for saxophone, got the alto, because that was just the one that fit. And I was a short dude, <laughs> <laughs> little small guy. Yeah. And um, yeah, like, and, and I, I don't know, band class was super easy for me too. It was just, it was fun. Again, like I like to just play the instrument by ear as much as I could, just learning stuff that I heard on the radio or mm-hmm. um, that I grew up listening to. And um, the, still not really into jazz very much, just the instrument first. You know, like I love the saxophone. Yeah. And just playing what I heard. And jazz, that came a bit later. I was at 14, 15, like starting high school. Um, I, I did went to middle school down in Atlanta. Eventually, we we made our way back to Maryland, where I grew up, but this time in Montgomery County. Grew up in Prince George's County, then to Atlanta, then back, but then Montgomery County for high school. And then I started this school called Springbrook, and I wanted to get into jazz band. And uh, in order to get in the jazz band, you had to do a summer camp just as a prerequisite to yeah. even get into jazz band. So I signed up for this this summer camp, or rather my dad did. And I'm very grateful for him for doing this. He was like, all right, you're doing this summer camp. It's called Everybody Can Play Jazz. So I, I signed up. Uh, I'm nervous as hell, you know, <laughs> I'm like, wait, improvisation solos, you know, I wasn't familiar with all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that like two week camp, you know, that, so they brought some of DC's best musicians in, uh, to come teach and, you know, some cats that taught at Duke Ellington school of arts, like some really good musicians. Yeah. Uh, Morgan Russell was the guy that was teaching saxophone at the time. And he was the one that was pushing the saxophone section when we had sectionals into like learning how to solo. So yeah. starting with the blues scale, you know, and that's, that's where it started at 14 for me. And like, I, I took my first solo, <laughs> nervous as all hell. And <laughs> it went okay. I think when I F blues, you know, right, and right. I started to slowly just get more comfortable. And the more I practiced, the more confident I felt when it came time for the concert, you know, and the more, and I, and I realized, all right, I just got to put in more time to alleviate this feel this fear. You know, that's, I think that's kind of where it started. Like, I knew I loved it, but getting up there and playing, like, it made me super nervous. And I noticed the more I would practice this blues scale, yeah. I would get more comfortable with what I wanted to say, what I wanted to play. And it became less nerve-wracking for me. And by the end of the camp, I, I really just kind of fell in love with it. You know, that te- they put me on to so much music. There was, like, a little history class as well. And mm-hmm. they put me on to all the, the classics. And at that point, you know, I was hooked. I got in the jazz band a year later. Um, my sophomore year, Wynton Marsalis came to our high school actually to do a master class, mm-hmm. and that just that's that sealed the deal because Wynton just pulled up and it was like, it felt like how when the like when the basketball team was going to the championship, it felt like that kind of energy in our yeah. auditorium, busting all the schools in our county, you know, Washington Post, all the press is there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
it was like a whole event, you know? So in addition to like my love for it, I felt like there was like just youthful energy. Everybody was like, oh, this is a really big deal in Maryland. That's amazing, um, man. That's amazing. You know, yeah, I want to I wanna shout out all the music educators out there because I think they're some of the unsung heroes of the industry. Uh, you know, when I have these conversations with, with, with guests, um, in, inevitably one of them, well, I get a, a new name or introduce a, a new music educator that kind of started their, their journey. And yeah. um, let's fast forward a little bit, though. So you went to jazz oh, camp. I one educator, excuse me. So Morgan Russell ended yes. up working at this place called Dale Music. At Dale Music, I met this horn player, Elijah Balbed. He's the homie. He was the guy that was like a year older than me that yes. was the one pulling me yeah. into every jam session. Like, bro, you need to be here. You need to do this. That kind of tutelage was also super crucial. Having a peer that's yes. just a little more experienced than you, that's yeah. just going to push you, that was my guy. And he he was studying with this dude, Paul Carr. Mm -hmm. And Paul Carr was just like the saxophone guru in our area. And that's another educator that, you know, people, in case people don't know, yeah. you know, he, he's the guy as well. Morgan Russell for sure got me going. And then Paul Carr just, you know, changed Shout out to Morgan and, Morgan and Paul. I mean, if you guys... Um, know mm -hmm. them. Let's let's take a moment here on the podcast to celebrate those guys and all music educators. Um, yeah, man. So let's fast forward to um, mm -hmm. your tertiary level education. So this is not super common. You went from George Strong to picking up a scholarship at the Juilliard School. So explain to us how that happened. Man, that was <laughs> a lot had to line up. So First, back in high school, you know, like I, I did the all all county, all state. Mm -hmm. Then I did Grammy band, then right, I did Young right. Arts and all this stuff. So I started winning these national, getting on that national kind yeah. of level as far as being a high school saxophonist. Yes. Um, and with that, you meet some of the nation's best musicians. And a lot of them went straight to music school. They went right. straight to Juilliard, straight to yes. Berkeley, straight to wherever. And there was a bit of FOMO that hit me, you know, at the end of senior year. Where I got into all these music schools, I got into Manhattan New School. You know, I didn't even apply to Juilliard actually. I didn't even know they had a jazz program, but mm -hmm. I applied to all these schools, got in. However, my scholarships were just like Howard was full scholarship, North Carolina Central full full scholarship, Georgetown. You know, it it came down to a real practical kind of thing for yeah. me, yeah. for my dad too. My parents are like, bro, like I think this makes the most sense. I don't know if you want to take out these loans. Dude. Right. <laughs> you know, like that was, that was hard for like my 18 year old mind to wrap. I couldn't wrap my mind around that. I was like, but this is what I want to do. And they were like, man, I think go to Georgetown. You can still be a musician, just work in the city, blah, blah. It'll yeah. work out go to New York later. You know, I wasn't trying to hear that, but <laughs> looking back, looking back, like it was absolutely the right decision. And I'm glad that, you know, at the end of the day, I like, I, I did that, you know, that, um, because Georgetown, it was a, it was a really beautiful two years, you know, being in DC just really afforded me the ability to get one, a well-rounded education to spend a couple of years kind of figuring out exactly what mm -hmm. I wanted to do. Yeah. And then two, and then three, like letting me hone my skills and get like professional development almost, uh, in a, in a, a market, not as intense as New York, you know, Yeah. I was running jam sessions starting to play my own, like had my, started my own quartet at 17, mm -hmm. 18, you know what I mean? Learning yeah. to talk to an audience, learning to put a set together, meeting promoters and bookers in the DC area, starting yeah. to do gigs, starting to just see more wild shit in club, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just 
growing up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, those two. And then this one day, like my sophomore year, mind you, I'm majoring in English and minor in African American studies. I was just kind of trying to pick something that I was just pretty good at and yeah. understood. My dad teaches civil rights law. We we've been talking about race and politics since I was a child. That, yeah. That's the lens through which we just kind of break things down and see things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the same with my wife. It's like, that. that's 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 the bar. So it's like, that makes your sense. Your wife like, has oh, studied like, law, right? My wife is actually a, a political scientist, but she's concentrates on the intersectionality of race and gender. Awesome. Cool. Um, so what I'm, I'm just saying, I'm kind of very much grown up in a political, racially charged kind of yes. household where I understand those kind of things. So mm-hmm. when it came to what I'm going to study at Georgetown, I was like, oh, yeah, this is already where I live. You know what I mean? This is this is uh, kind of up my alley. This is something I can do while still juggling my music career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Uh, it wasn't just like calculus or some other wild stuff, some, some <laughs> shit I don't understand. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. anyways, I... I uh, and also knew it would bolster kind of the historical significance and, and, you know, the history of the music in addition to just playing. And I was like, oh, I'm going to need to know this. I'm going to need to know how to write about this. I'm going to need to know how to discuss this and synthesize this information. So for me, it was like, all right, this is full circle. This makes sense. Anyway. I, I, I want to put a pin right there because I feel like if a lot of musicians now, especially younger musicians, try to mm-hmm. separate music from culture mm-hmm. and, 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 and treat music like it's a thing on its own. But yeah, no. I, I think it's really important to point that out because um, this is something that's really important to me as well. As a musician, I think it's important to see those connections as a, and as a matter of fact, to come at music, understanding the cultural context first, because mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's how the music is, is, is born. Um, Cause when I feel like if, when you separate it, it becomes some, it loses some of the value and the impact for the audience as well. It, exactly that's how it sticks it's like you have to really understand that you have to really be intentional about trying to understand it and be amongst it yeah and and that's exactly what hit me i think after my after two years in dc i was like i really want to do this i need to be immersed in the culture in yeah. the scene and where it's happening and right now it's new york so my friends called me sophomore year. Yeah. They were already at Juilliard. This mm-hmm. is uh, Joshua Crumbly, some more appendages. Hit me up on my birthday, like Brax, you should apply. Like just, <laughs> just apply, see what happens. They were like, yo, alto players like Will Anderson just graduated. Hey, Barbash, I think he just left. Like you should just, I, I don't think there's any alto players right now, man. You should just see. I was like, all right, fine. Yeah. I'll see. So I, I, I call some of them and say, we play together in D.C., Elliot Seppla, some other cats and stuff, and we record in one of the dorm practice rooms at Georgetown. Um, you know, it's like it's in the dorm, in the lobby, and then like there was like a little room with a piano. I was like, oh, let's just wheel in some drums and yeah, yeah. bring the bass and like we'll just record it here. I had a Zoom recorder. Yeah, yeah. I did my whole audition tape and, you know, I sent that in. I got a live audition. I nailed it. Not only did I get in, they were just like, you know what, we really want you to be here. What we're going to do is um, we'll match your scholarship. You know, we'll make this easy for you. Amazing. And that just, that was just one of those beautiful moments where everything aligned, where I was just like, all right, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, God made it super easy for me. He Mm -hmm. did, you know, he spelled it out. It it wasn't like, oh, I'm up to take out all these loans and do all this. It was like, if financial stress is was keeping you from following your dream, it was like, well, here you go. Yeah. Don't worry about it. 
that's a, that's amazing, man. I know that um, a lot of people have, that have been following your career know you for playing with Christian, mm-hmm. uh, Marquise, and, uh, and and of course your solo projects. Um, so I'm not going to talk too much about your sideman work. What I want to focus on now is, you know, as as you know, the the, name, the title of the podcast is Keep Taking Ground. But let's take a moment to define your ground. What have you been personally, creatively, artistically in pursuit of over the last, you know, these last couple of years? Sure. I've been, one, I, I still, I love this saxophone. Like, first love is what it is. I still aspire to just get better on, you know, just at that, yeah. that level. So on that stream i'm just trying to practice trying to hone my skills trying to get better trying to just articulate myself musically on the instrument yeah as cleanly and clearly as possible i think something i want to be able to play it Mm. you know um i hear a tone i want to be able to just emulate it yeah that's still a goal probably going to be a lifelong pursuit that's (laughs) that's what that is is there anything specifically Uh, about the saxophone mm -hmm. um that you value or a particular a particular approach or aesthetic that you value that kind of guides how you uh pursue it that daily say that one more time is there an approach or an aesthetic that yes I... an approach an aesthetic or something that you value that that kind of uh guides how you pursue um that goal you know of getting better on the saxophone i think i lost your audio but I... right there but um I think that's what you you're asking is there an approach or an aesthetic you know that informs what I'm going for? Yes, yeah, so I think we're back now. So I I just I'll, I'll just repeat the question. So is there a specific um thing that you value or an aesthetic that kind of guides um that goal of getting better on the saxophone? Yeah, a few things. Okay. Um yeah, I've always wanted a unique sound. And uh, I know it sounds like something like you can't, you don't just specifically go for, but I guess what I mean is um, there, there are things that sometimes you hear uh, that are like maybe cliche or, or, or um, you just hear often. Yeah. And sometimes it's easier to be like, that's, that's what I don't want to do. <laughs> so that you can kind of, it's a little bit easier to define what it, how it, how you want to sound sometimes when it's like you want to do something antithetical to this. Yeah. Um, and some of my like touring experiences have helped inform that as well. Like I've, I've played in super loud bands where I've been like, all right, that's not the approach I want to take on the horn. I don't, I don't want to be, you know, that feels unnatural to me. So I, sometimes I kind of just listen to my, what feels natural, what feels comfortable and try and cut through in that way, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, musically, sometimes even personality wise, it's like, I, I, oftentimes I, I look, I listen to myself and I'm like, man, the choices I make musically, sometimes it's what I would say in a, if we were having a conversation, cause that's what a song or, you know, that's what a lot of this music is like, what we're kind of trying to emulate. We're just like having a discussion about a particular topic and, and everyone's different mm-hmm. um, voices kind of come out musically. Yeah. And um, yeah, I noticed I'm like, Sometimes I'm, my approach is like, how can I say the same thing with less words? How can I do this without having to yell it? How can I communicate this in a clear, mm. confident, you know, just transparent way? Um, that isn't just too, you know what I mean? That, that 
that and, and that's that's maybe me just psychoanalyzing my my sound but i think yeah. there is a connection there sometimes between the choices absolutely you know? I'm not going to play this note super loud because I'm like, all right, I think I can get my point across like this. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so to your point, to your question, like, is there an aesthetic? I guess, yeah, it, it kind of goes in line with who I am. It's There's just a, a quiet, cool mm -hmm. confidence to it. That yeah. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm trying to say, but I don't need to beat you over the head about it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. When I had um, John Gordon on the podcast... Uh, season one he talked about becoming a stylist and how very early mm -hmm. in his development um he was turned on to the idea of of kind of like honing your own sound and developing a personal sound and i think when people hear the term stylist a lot of times it could become a negative thing in terms of because i think there's sort of like a binary approach to this you either become a traditionalist traditionalist or, or a stylist and sometimes people think that when you become a stylist it boxes you in to to one specific thing but i think when mm -hmm. he shared the concept he, it was more of a general sort of the idea of connecting with who you are as a person honestly and yeah. developing something that's personal that could be distinguishable from um some somebody else's sound you know so i, I would i gotta check that out because i like that i i, I kind of agree with that i think there's there's something to, yeah, you don't have to necessarily have it. So it's not necessarily something that's contrived. Like, this is what I'm going to go for. It's more so like, yeah, get in touch with who you are. Right. Um, the sounds and moods and things that speak to you emotionally. That's what I do. That's how I write. That's how I compose yeah. most of the time. Yeah. Um, it's from a, a space or a statement or an idea, mm -hmm. you know, a feeling. It could be a feeling of being lost in between some things. It could be a feeling of, um, you know, uh, Sometimes I've written songs from like a, an anxiety kind of mm -hmm, mm -hmm. spiral kind of perspective there, like where the song kind of feels like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. sometimes I, I write from the emotional space and, yeah. then, let, and then let ideas and, and musical things kind of grow from that. And I, I think that's important, Brax. And, 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 and um, you know, that idea of starting with an emotion or an idea, a feeling, a texture, sure. um, sure. I think it's really important for instrumentalists because we don't have the words to rely on to communicate that with uh communicate the narrative through you know the spoken word um mm -hmm. and i feel like if in a lot of music that's missing because when when the song is done i, I always ask myself this question when the song is done what did i just what, what can i remember how do i feel that's it like I get how we how we've gotten here. Yes, you everyone you go to music school for four years, then you do another two masters, and some yeah. people do AD. And after a while, it's like your audience has become nothing but musicians for a five, six year, seven year period, and it's starts to shape and warp your intentions behind the ideas that that you play and when you improvise, that you write when you make a tune. Mm -hmm. It's like who are you trying to impress? And I've been fortunate, I think, while I was in school. Yeah be on the road with other artists that, yes. that gave me that perspective it kept mm -hmm. me grounded you know what i mean it was one of those grounding things being on tour with with christian or with yeah. you know any other artist where it was like all right i go to school i know i spend hella hours here i'm writing for my friends you kind of want to impress your friends you know mm -hmm. oh here's this brad meldow thing i learned and i'm going to play it on saxophone sure but then you go on the road and you're like no one gives a damn you know what i mean people want to just feel connected to something yeah you know 
also, or, or like Brad's playing that because that's Brad. That's what Brad's feeling. You know what I mean? What are you trying to convey? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, I was fortunate to have those experiences in tandem where I yeah. could push myself, you know, artistically, creatively, and on the technique and all these different rules and composition or whatever, but then still know you have to connect with people on a personal and emotional kind of level. Mm-hmm. People need to walk away from a show knowing who you are, what you believe, and like, you know, mm. where you stand on things. And I think that's important. People I've worked with are like that. Christian is, is one of those guys. And I learned that early. I'm like, that's how I want to be. It will be different because I'm not that person. I'm not from New Orleans. I didn't grow with that. No, it's like, no, I'm from Maryland. I did this. I grew up I'm a middle child. All those different things yeah. gave yeah. me. That's how that's what I want to come across. Yeah. I you feel like if there's, there's a sense of like real honesty and deep-rooted connection and soul in your music can you talk about about you know how you value those concepts and how that how do you channel that into your music absolutely um with the honesty i think there's just a there's a vulnerability that i've always been attracted to in certain artists and people yeah um some of that could be just like my upbringing i think I've always found found it to be way more powerful when someone's willing to be vulnerable emotionally mm. than constantly putting on this front of armor. Mm. It gets tired to me, yeah. you know. And I grew up with that. Like, so there's some of that's generational. My that dad, I feel like I've never seen that man cry. You know what I mean? That yeah, there is yeah. that. Um, but this is a new generation. I think we're reframing what masculinity looks like, mm. what being a person looks like. How yeah. you know what I mean with with all of those things, just trying to be more honest, transparent, and vulnerable. And I, I, for me personally, I've always been a, seen that in artists and been like, damn, man, like that's that's crazy. They put all that out there, you know. I've always been attracted to that kind of vulnerability, and I want. So I think when when it came to me writing music, yeah, I wanted to convey the same, and I knew like it's gonna take some courage to write about my life as opposed to fabricating an an artistic person. You know what I mean? A, a, a new name or something and, and just creating a backstory for it, which is fine. But I was like, nah, I kind of want to write about myself. And mm. to some degree, it takes a little bit of bravery to put you and your family and all these different narratives and things in there. Of course, it's going to be sensationalized a little bit, but like, of course. Yeah. yeah, I've always thought that was powerful when other people did it. So I wanted to try and attempt mm. to do the same thing. And I think in doing that, you end up connecting with people on another on a way bigger level. By being, be willing to share that yeah. much. How um, has with, with regard to soul though too? I mean, I, I grew up like listening to Motown. I grew yeah. up listening to soul music in the church, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like so much of that just came from my, my upbringing. So I got to give props and give flowers to my family. That's just that's what that is. Yeah, you know, my dad can sing a little. All my brothers can sing a little bit. You know what I mean? Like there's just a general musical talent and and love for just good music and soul in my house for sure you know talking about family um as you mentioned you got married about a year ago and um you just recently had your your first son how have those experiences uh shaped your your approach to music your creative process and also just your general output you know as a creative entrepreneur really I'll tell you right now, it's kicking my head. <laughs> it's uh, man, the time management is real. I yeah. think if anything, it's refining everything. It's I was just talking to my therapist about it yesterday. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, 
trimming the fat, <laughs> trimming the fat out of my day. Yeah. You know, trying to multitask, figure out where I can get my practicing in and where I can, and just getting more efficient. Yeah. There were definitely times where I've played for four hours and probably only needed to practice for one because I spent three hours just kind of improvising or jamming. And there's some times where I'm like, no, I need to learn this song or like, I need to, you know what I mean? It's, it's helping me to manage my time a bit better already. I'm only two months in, but it's, it's going to bring it out of you. So I, on that level, for sure. On the creative level yeah, with like, you know, my inspiration and stuff, it's honestly just putting it's reprioritizing kind of it's making 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 me reprioritize some things mm-hmm. um it's making me just readjust and find another balance you know i think i spent years trying to find a balance between just being married or being in a relationship and music um and wanting to spend all my time you know trying to find out how to how to split my time and now we've introduced another piece you know my my son yeah um and it's just going to be right now i think an adjustment period with how how to best do that and continue to move everything forward. Yeah, but I'll say like, yeah, me and my, I think we're we're getting there. Like we're we, we're getting into stride. That's good. We've got like the support and help we need to be able to do so. Um, but I and I'll, I'll also say that sometimes it takes months for things to come out of my music. So probably mid next year, you'll there'll be a whole project that's like kind of inspired by this time. Yeah, yeah. But right now, I'm still very much experiencing it and downloading it, and I'm for I'm fortunate. Like it's. It's all been beautiful. Everything's been pretty textbook. <laughs> and so I imagine the next batch of music just is gonna be pretty like buoyant, full of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, joyous. As you say that quick segue, there's a first project that you put out um mm-hmm. called Sketch. Oh yeah. And I had downloaded it years ago and then oh, my laptop crashed, I lost it, and then when I went back to get it, it wasn't available anymore. Oh no, is it gone? <laughs> I can't find it anywhere, really. Dang, you know what? I uploaded it to CD Baby years ago. Maybe I just need to go back in there, see what's going on. That's wild. Yeah, hmm. man. And I, I think um, Pariah was on there. Um, yeah. Is it Lull- more on there? Is it Lullaby? The other track? Yeah, yeah Brody's Lullaby. Brody's mm-hmm. Lullaby. Yeah, man. I That was my jam, man. I used to play that like over and over. I Thank think what for know. me was not just your playing, but the sensibility of the aesthetic. I remember asking um, uh, another very young, prominent saxophone player um, how important you know he felt um, being intentional about the aesthetic of your music as opposed to just like the improvisational virtuoso element of it. Because um, yeah. I feel like if a lot of players only focus on the virtuoso uh, historic part of it, and not the aesthetic, but I feel like if your music has a very tangible, palpable, consistent aesthetic, is that intentional? Um, mm-hmm. Are you making creative choices that lead towards that aesthetic, or is it sort of like just instinctual for you? A little bit of both. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's instinctual for sure. Yeah, but I think not every saxophone is necessarily an artist. There's there's that too. That's fine. That's, you know, yes, yes. No, I think I could pick up an instrument and still get a similar mood or feeling across because it's just in me. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it's definitely something instinctual for sure at Mm -hmm. at first. And then, you know, um, I think 
all these different things of you know Eng like studying English, studying all these other different things uh, have all just helped me to be able to convey this in different ways so that I get the point across on cover art because like I'm I'm an independent artist, so I'm involved in every yeah. aspect of everything. Yeah. Um. So when it, yeah, when I want to get a photo shoot, the outfits and the stylus and the you know what I mean the like how the layout like how I just want how I want this, the, the cover art to look all the flyers for show all types of things the mood like can we do this filter to make it darker whatever you know yeah. like every aspect I want to convey a certain thing and that yeah. there's is definitely intentional um and it's just how to best communicate that I think musically um yeah, I mean, even to a producer, because it's like you can leave the studio and we still got a long way to go before the record is done. Yeah. So it's like it's constantly just like trying to explain and, and define the mm -hmm. vibe and feeling that you want to different partners along the way. Yeah. It could be on the visual space. It could still be on the auditory. Like the producer, like this plugin is going to get me this dreamy vibe. And that's what I want for this. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, absolutely. Got to be involved. I'm, I'm intentional about all that. I'm involved in, in all those pieces and, and constantly trying to learn, learn it myself. Yeah. You know, I feel like if there's somebody listening right now that can get some value from this, I want to go a little bit deeper on that, on that one before we move on. Sure. Um, I remember when during my, my very last year of my undergrad program, I had put off doing some electives and I ended up spending the last semester doing like three or four philosophy courses. And um, that was like by far, like my best semester of my undergrad. I wasn't doing actually any music courses because I had done all of those. Got and out the yeah, that, that process of learning about phenomenology and ethics and, um, and, and all of that helped shape how I see the world. And it also the process of reading and reflecting on, on literature and writing and improving my ability to communicate those ideas inevitably filtered into the, my sensibility about how I communicate through music. Um, and, you know, being an English major, um, Georgetown. 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 I'm just loving how you articulated this. This is exactly right. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And um, I feel as though um, I think there are a lot of musicians, saxophonists included, particularly, that are doing a phenomenal job of digging into the tradition, understanding how to play their instrument. But I think there's also a wide cross section of players that haven't yet de developed the ability to understand history, transcendent ideas, current ideas, and mm -hmm. synthesize it in a way that they could communicate it through their music. Do you have any thoughts about that process and how you've done that because i feel like if you've been able that's that's something that you develop and had probably become part of your dna i can break that down like pretty practically it's yes. really like transcription is the process through which i like to learn things like you know yeah taking an engine apart breaking it down putting yeah. it back together it's the same thing that i think we're doing with bird solos it's like we have to do with with pop songs if you want if you even like it firstly like like that's why i'm like it's there's always this instinctual thing or thing that I'm like, I genuinely do like some of this you know, music of our day yeah. and style of our, of our time. Yeah. And you know, like that's a gen, that's just real. No one's like, it's not a contrived thing. So I do, but then it's like the step further, like breaking it down, studying it to some degree. Um, what elements of it I do like, 
relearning, I don't know, Roddy Rich song on guitar and singing something, whatever, you know, it's like, there's got to be some genuine connection to what's happening now. Yeah. And if that's not part of you, then I, I don't know. But for me, it's like, yeah, I genuinely do like that stuff. And old school music of the time, you know, when my parents were young. Mm -hmm. And of course, jazz, they, you know, had its heyday before they were even born. So it's like, there's a genuine love for all of those different eras and styles, yes. personally. Yes. Then an intention about like, all right, breaking it down and learning those tunes. Like I listen to Miguel and I learn the tunes and I sing them and I play, I like them. I like where does, and then where does this combine? Where can I blend these with? you know, original material and, 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 and what artists of today, again, back to the motion, what artists of today speak to that same thing that I hear when I feel here train, when I hear him play, you know, Cadenza on, I want to talk about you 63 Newport or something. Mm -hmm. And he's just like wailing, but you just want to like cry, you know, you're like, damn, what is that? Or I, I may get that feeling in a Esperanza tune or Emily mm -hmm. King tune or something that's, or Nick Hakim, who's got just this like darkness to it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. The the emotion is like it's timeless, mm -hmm. you know. And that's that's the thread. Yeah, that's the thread. And I'll just try and tap into that, man. Yeah, it ties it all together. But there's a, like I said, a genuine love for all those eras. I've been to school with people that like they're like, yeah, I don't listen to the radio. I don't know what any of this. Stuff. I, you know what I mean? I'm like, well. I don't know what to tell you. It's like you can force it. You can force yourself to, you know, if people do it, you can get a stylist and they'll just make you look like, you know, someone of the day. But Or if you genuinely like it, you'll just naturally incorporate certain things into your style. Yeah, I'm just kind of getting a sense, you know, that that, that idea of honesty and a willingness to, to dig deep into the things that you really connect with and then communicate that through your music, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you would like to share that you feel has become part of your sort of like musical DNA? And I'm putting you. On yeah, like something more on the vulnerable side. I would say like that's even that's just real. It's like I feel like every cycle, every album cycle, there's this like this period of like of 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 like growth, but it comes from just like like a, a, a doubt mm. to to discovery to like belief again, <laughs> to like a new love of the expanded being that you, that, that I'm in or space that I'm in now. Wow. It's like, that's every time. And I, it's like, I expect it to get easier or just not, or for that feeling to not come back. But it's like, no, it's just like, it's like part of the process. That creative cycle. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Wow. For sure. Um, but yeah, just to push through. Yeah, to continue to create through it and you always come out the other side and it doesn't I, I don't know for me I was like it doesn't necessarily go away it's always I think that's part of that's the scary part of just like being that vulnerable and continuing to, to push yourself yeah amazing you know is there something specific um, on the saxophone or conceptually that you would like to share with with with, um, with me right now that kind of, yeah. kind of breaks down some right. a concept or something on the saxophone yeah, um, this is just something that my my teacher Ron Blake used to just kind of instill in me. Yeah, and um, it's something I think will probably be probably be helpful for most saxophonists because mm -hmm. we tend to play a million notes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's 
it's the it's a couple things it's one is it's the breath is like the most important thing yeah you know real breathing space because it's, it's going to if you're you know if you're taking in a real breath it's gonna you gotta take the horn out your mouth for a sec or you know and just breathe mm-hmm. and and you know that breath is like it's everything it's your sound it's who you are it's like it's that's super important so starting practice sessions with just like again you know long tones with being intentional about filling yourself up as much as you can with with your breath using breath to like help space out your your phrasing Mm. um and melody you know and you know like really singing playing creating melodies on the horn memorable just nuggets of just just or our hooks you know if this were like this were a songwriting master class just like every part of the song should be a hook and like <laughs> you know and if i'm improvising it's like yeah like just think melodies just think of memorable little melodies on each section you know motivic it can be motifs it can be ideas that come back you know but we're, we're creating a composition on the spot essentially so it's like just melodies and, and referencing them and building them and and you know amazing that's, yeah that's that's what i love on the instrument for sure no i i use set up to to demonstrate any of that on the phone okay. can i mean sure particular or, or or trying to go for anything particular when you were playing through the form there by the way if you're listening that was all the things you are oh yeah yeah just just visually maybe i i think i was just like thinking about this vista because i do have a very beautiful view right here <laughs> but uh, no no musically i thinking about yeah just space and melody man and and rhyming as well like, <laughs> rhyming yeah um in different ways of doing that. I don't have to rhyme each line with the next one, but I can, I can rhyme line A, B, I can go A, B, you know, C, A, and rhyme A with line, you know what I mean? I'm thinking, and particularly in that song, I, I, it's such a, the way it's structured, it's, it's form. Yeah, really yeah. fun to play over. You can, yeah, you can think of it in groups of two or four or eights mm-hmm. and larger sections. So yeah, stuff like that. Rhyme schemes, I think that's where I, I was kind of at. Huh. Yeah, that's an interesting way to to express that. I think um, we, we usually express that as like motivic development. Yeah, um, but I, I get again, there's a there's a connection to you know your background with uh, being an English major 
and and, mm-hmm. and writing and just kind of bringing that concept yeah. um into into music there that's amazing man man it's, it's been a blast uh chatting with you um about your journey you know you've really been one of my favorite saxophonists over the 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 past you know i guess eight years now when i first um came across your music um I appreciate thanks. That, man. yeah man um and i i think everyone listening is going to have uh is going to be able to take away something from from this conversation um before we we we, we wrap up i have one more quick question for you um you know what was being on the road um like i mean you've been on huge stages stages you've toured with your own project you know with christian and so on i think that road everybody has different experiences in the road so what was that like for you which one sorry is that just uh in general is that what, being on the road yeah let's talk because it's so different like touring with tom mish and then touring with christian it's like such a, it's such a different um let's talk about let's, like, let's talk about christian Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> man! Christian is hilarious, bro. Like, you know, it's like little brother, big brother vibes. So there's there's that. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, man, you I learned so much. Learned so much. To me, it was like that was like my master's, you know, artist, art, AD program right there. While I was in school, it was like yeah. I'm getting you know, from someone who's successfully doing this. Yeah. Yeah. So much game about the music business, mm-hmm. so much about marketing. Cause I mean, at the time he was with Concord, but when he made stretch music, he had left that deal and started independent, you know, right. and that's like, you could see a real transition visually. He changed his name, you yeah. know, like it's a huge transition um, in his career. And a lot of that was just Christian's own brainchild. Like just thinking of all of this stuff himself. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, you know, starting his own imprint label within, you know, Ropudo, that's something I may want to do one day, um, you know, when I find the right situation. But like, yeah, it's like so many different things that he was doing business-wise that were really, really cool, super smart um, and inspiring. So like, yeah, just picking his brain on all types of things. Him showing me spreadsheets on how he put a tour together, like, dang, this is how much this cost. And like, this how much, you know, it's like, that's good information that you know, no one's really going to show you that. Right. Um, so yeah amazing man so we've reached that that portion of the podcast where we're going to play a rapid fire question game and uh, we're going to put you on the spot a little bit braxton so the first thing i wanted to do well the, the game is called one two three i wanted to share one piece of actually start with three three two one <laughs> so share three saxophonists that have been influential for you two albums that have been influential and then leave the audience with one piece of advice okay all right, uh, three saxophonists. Yes, two albums. Okay, yeah. Kenny Garrett mm-hmm. for sure. And Bar Adderley. Yes. Woo! I mean Coltrane. Oh, Easy one. Too. I could list so many more, but anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. right, two albums. Yes. Oh yeah. Okay, Cannonball Live uh, Quintet in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Crazy. <laughs> um. Then I gotta go favorite album. Oh, Bird with Strings. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> that was an early yeah, Bird with Strings was nuts. All right, yeah. one thing of advice. Yeah. Just keep growing mm. and specifically keep 
like actively pursuing to get to know yourself and who you are, what you're about, what moves you emotionally, actively getting at the core of that mm. and then write and share from that space. And I think you'd be shocked with who you connect with as opposed to writing from a more cerebral, you know, right. Good. Yeah. yeah. Right from there. Amazing man. Blackton has been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thanks so much um, for sharing your time, your wisdom, your experiences. Um, how can all viewers connect with you? Oh man, social media. I mean, that's the way nowadays. Yeah. So just follow me on uh, maybe Instagram. It's at Braxton underscore Cook. Yeah. Uh, I think Twitter is just at Braxton Cook, and then you know any social media platform you can write me. I mostly write back. Yeah. Um, and then you can go to BraxtonCook.com to just see everything on there, tour dates, all types of stuff. Amazing. You know, um, I want to take a second to shout out um, one of my subscribers. Um, Marwin Olive Rose, he left a comment recently um, on back on episode one of season one. So shout out to, to Marwin. Okay. And um, if this conversation was that? He's a day one. Yeah, man, <laughs> definitely. If this conversation, you know, you found value in it, you know, please leave a comment below and, and let us know what, what stood out to you. And please hit up Braxton, check out all of his music. Braxton, what do you have coming up? Oh man, I got a new project coming out at the top of the of next year, like Amazing. Q1. Mm -hmm. um, and new singles and videos are on the way, and the they're 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 gonna come out soon. So, yeah. Amazing. Look out for that, guys. Thanks so much for listening, and um, please like, subscribe, share this video with someone that you think is gonna find some value. Um, thanks so much. Please stay tuned to more conversations. And I want you to keep taking ground in your musical, professional, and creative journeys. Braxton, one more time, thanks so much. Thank you, man. All right, brother. Peace.